handouts. Take a one and hand them on, if you would, please. As we have been studying the doctrine of man, we started at the beginning, Genesis 1-1, with the creation account. We looked at the creation of the universe, the creation of man, how God created man, body and soul. He created man in His image. He created him for the express purpose of glorifying him. That was the last two Sunday schools that uh, we looked at. I'd remind you that uh, we try to, by, by Sunday afternoon or evening, get uh, Sunday school and Sunday mornings and Sunday nights up on uh, the church web and, and my website if you want to get up to date uh, or review. I try to post the handouts on my website with the audios if they, sometimes I try to print them off and uh, they come out all blurried or, so if they're like too small a font for you, you can uh, grab them off, off my website and download them, print them off, enlarge the print to 18 point or 24 point font if you want. But uh, uh, you cannot study the doctrine of man very long before you're hit head-on with the reality of sin. We don't get very far into the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, before man falls from his state of untested holiness into sin. I don't think that we can overstate the importance of the subject of the fall of man into sin. Such an event as the fall changed the entire direction of life, both physically and spiritually, for millennia. So, we'd like to look for two or three weeks on a study of sin, the fall, and man's total depravity, total inability to approach God, and that necessitated God coming to man. The fall is such a dramatic, cataclysmic event that the entire Scriptures deal with it. As I've told you before, there are only four chapters in the entire Bible that do not deal with sin, and that's the first two before sin, and the, the last two after sin's effect has been undone in the renovation and restoration of all things. We live post-fall. We live after Genesis chapter 3. If you take your Bibles and turn over there, that's where we're going to be this morning. We live after the fall, and so we must understand the fall of man into sin, the, fall, the fallen earth that we live in that God Himself cursed as the righteous consequences of sin. And thus, we would affirm as uh, I, I, I stole this from my doctrinal statement. Uh, here's our affirmation. We affirm that in Adam's sin of disobedience to the revealed will and Word of God, man lost his innocence. He incurred the penalty of spiritual and physical death and became subject 
to the wrath of God. And he became at that point inherently corrupt and utterly incapable of choosing or doing that which is acceptable to God apart from divine grace. With no recuperative powers to enable him to recover himself, man is hopelessly lost. Man's salvation is thereby holy of God's grace through the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I encouraged you to meet me in Genesis 3, right before we get to Genesis 3, one of those references there is, uh, is Genesis 2, 16 and, and 17. This was the divine command of God. Remember what He told mankind through His federal head, Adam? He, he commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. God emphasized not what man uh, uh, can't do and the restrictions that, that the serpent wanted to draw our attention to. Look at the lavishness, God says, that I gave you. Everything. From any tree you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat from it, you'll surely die. As we've been developing a biblical, God-centered worldview in adult Sunday school, we've, been, we've acknowledged divine fiat creation of the universe. God created everything that is out of what? Out of nothing. Created man a living soul in the image of God for His glory. God's intention in the creation of man was that man should glorify God, that he would enjoy God's fellowship, that man would live his life in the will of God, and by this accomplish God's purpose for man in the world. And we looked at several verses over the last couple of weeks from Genesis to Revelation of, of this being the express purpose of God in creation and redemption, that we'd live to the praise of His own glory. So, to have a sharpened God-glorifying effect on the world, we can continue to develop this God-centered worldview so that we can speak to others with our lives and our lips as we are sent into the world to be salt and light. Jesus says, as a, as a redeemed sinner, this is your identity. You are salt. You are light. You've been empowered to glorify God, to put Him on display. So there must be a vast difference with the unenlightened and the vain secular worldview and our God-centered worldview. A popular song came across the, the radio this week. I don't usually listen to radio. I listen to Pandora online and... Uh, you put in a certain genre and all these different people start singing at you. I think one of the, you know, this, I'm biased. Uh, I think one of the, uh, as we were uh, looking, uh, we, we look, YouTubed the national anthem at the Super Bowl last Sunday night. And I don't think anybody's ever sung it better. This is personally speaking. This is bias. I'm stepping, stepping away from the lectern. Nobody better than in 1991, uh, Whitney Houston's rendition of the national anthem. It was, it was a stellar performance. Well, she had a popular song, The Greatest Love of All, and I don't usually preach theology by that great theologian, Whitney Houston. 
But if you haven't heard the song, I, I wrote down a line so I wouldn't butcher it. And I will not sing it for you. But this is, this is one song among thousands that captures man's love affair with himself and his own significance. It says, quote, and I'll say it, not sing it, I believe children are our future. And God's people said, amen, right? Yeah, well, God's people, yeah. I believe children are our future. Nothing wrong with that, right? We teach about the importance of children in the ministry here, and we, we, we try to build good children's ministry here. So there's nothing wrong with that, right? I believe children are our future. Teach them well. Let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. <laughs> Give them a sense of pride. People need someone to look up to. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. And I'll unquote there. Whether it's in songs like that, or tasteful, moral old shows like Andy Griffith or The Waltons. I introduced my kids to The Waltons this week. Uh, or whether it's a co-worker or a relative of yours that you meet on Sunday afternoon. You and I need to be ready to give a reasonable hope of our Christian worldview. And so we continue to unpack the doctrine of man as it unfolds in the book of Genesis. I've given you enough time to find the third chapter of the Bible. Follow along with me, if you will, Genesis chapter 3. This is after God pronounced goodness. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree, trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. 
In pain you'll bring forth children. Let your desire, let, let your desire, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Stop right there for a moment with me. Do you see the importance of holding firm to a literal historic Adam? Because in this narrative account, God tells us how it all was, how it all unfolded, how it all took place, how we became sinners by nature and sinners by choice. In this one brief chapter, we are given the setup for the disaster. We are given man's sinful response. We are given the, the sentencing for their sin. And we are exposed to the salvation of man through the promise there in verse number 15. As you think down through that passage with me, you know, you come to, as you look at verse 1, the first thing that ever ought to be striking to you and I as we read the text of Scripture is the fact that Satan spoke to Eve through this animal. And it's like, I know you guys like to talk to your pooches and tell your kitten, oh, you're so cute and all that other stuff, but they don't talk to you. I know the YouTube videos that sounds like the dog is saying, rah, rah, you, uh, but it's not talking to you. It's not answering finely tuned questions. An animal talking to Eve suggests that she hadn't yet had enough time to learn the characteristic of animals that they don't talk back to you. Only Adam had studied the animal kingdom. Satan first comes and he casts doubt upon God's Word. He then distorts it and finally, verse 4, openly denies it. You notice the progression to sin. Doubt of God's Word, distortion of God's Word, denial of God's Word. And then you get to verse 2, Eve's lack of true faith in God is suggested by three things. As, as she responds to the serpent, notice that she, first of all, she omits God's words all and freely. Isn't that even still true among man that we... When, when, when you go over to the one tree that God's forbidden and all the things of the can't and thou shalt not and whatnot, you haven't recognized all the lavishness of God's goodness. Man wants to camp on the question, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? Instead of asking the more brilliant question and the more scripturally informed question, how would such a holy and righteous God allow such sinners into His presence and punish His own Son to accomplish that? That is the goodness of God. So, so Eve omits God's words 
all and freely, tending to limit God's goodness. Second of all, she, ad- she not only omits, but she adds. Notice the phrase that she adds. Neither shall you... What does it say? Don't touch it! Does God say that? No, she's, she's adding the phrase. And so she's, she's exaggerating God's limitations. So not only is there a limitation of God's goodness, there's an exaggeration of God's limitations. Thirdly, she tones down the penalty from in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, to a lest you die. That's Mama Eve. Now, as you're going down through that, the, the staccato of, of events unfolding, we've got another player here, not only Eve, but, but Satan. Notice what he promises. As, as he talks to the woman, and he contradicts God, saying, you shall not surely die. Notice verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'd be like God, knowing good and evil. His promise, while technically true, and I say that because if you cross-reference uh, verses uh, 7 and 22, technically what He is promising is true, but it's actually a colossal lie because their eyes were open to behold all things in light of their own sinfulness. Oh, well, Satan, you didn't tell us that. You didn't tell us that, uh, yeah, we're going to see things differently, but we're going to see things twisted through our own sin. They became like God in the sense of having a a, a morally fixed nature. What was once good, untested holiness, is the condition, the perpetual state that they were created in, now was fixed in a nature of sin from that choice. It was fixed in sin, not fixed in righteousness. Knowing good, yeah, we know good, we just can't achieve it. That's the problem. That's what Satan left out. They were unable to do it. Knowing evil, they were unable to resist it. So they became totally depraved, and we'll look at that uh, at a future date. So he tempts man to sin. You look at how Satan tempts her, uh, verse, verse number 6, Eve's threefold temptation can be compared to, uh, if, in, in, in my write-in Bible, this is my preaching Bible, I don't have any notes in it, but uh, you might want to put a cross-reference there to uh, Luke 4 or 1 John Chapter 2 and verse 16. Let me start with that last verse that I just gave you, 1 John 2.16. John the Apostle records in his epistle to the churches, to us, to believers, so that we would know Satan's scheme of temptation. Here's how it comes to you. He principalizes what we find here in Genesis 3. He says, every temptation is going to come through one of three venues. It's either going to be the lust of the eyes, 
Lust of the flesh or the pride of life? That's 1 John 2. And that's exactly how Satan came to the Son of God when the Spirit of God took the Son of God into the wilderness. He came and presented before the Son of God lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the vain glory of life. Same way, it's always been that way. Eve was deceived by Satan. Adam was not. When, when Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.14, he reminds Timothy of that. Adam wasn't the one that was deceived, it was Eve. And so as she was deceived, as she was tempted, looked good, felt good, Yeah, I, I think one other footnote we ought to add, uh, lest you think that I'm letting Adam off the hook. He wasn't deceived. He just outright did wrong, openly. God said, don't do it. He did it. He sinned deliberately, perhaps to avoid permanent separation from Eve, you know, this whole peer pressure thing that people talk about. And the entire human race sinned in Him. Death passed to all men for all sinned, Romans 5.12. That was not the condition that he was originally created in. Man was appointed to rule as king, as, as God's vice regent over creation. The entire earth, creation, animals even suffered along with. Notice, uh, you know, I'm just kind of giving you running commentary on the text because we're, we're just putting together this doctrine of, of, of the fall. We're not going by verse by verse exposition. You know, skip down to verse 14. It's intriguing that as Adam willfully sinned, as Eve was deceived and tempted into sin, they aren't the only ones that suffered. Yes, God's vice regents blew it. They lost dominion. Animals suffered along with them in the Edenic curse. The Lord said to the serpent in verse 14, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you'll go and dust you'll eat all the days of your life. God cursed the earth. That's why Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 12.4 about the land mourning and animals being snatched away. In, in a similar vein in which when Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, what, what does he say in verse 20? That, the, the, that all of creation groans. It suffers the consequences of the fall. Not just mortal man, but all of creation. The serpent, unlike other animals, suffered the loss of limbs and remain under this curse during the millennium as a horrible reminder of the fall and its continued spiritual effects even in that glorious age. Set your eyes on verse 15 before we move on. Here's the promise. In my write-in Bible, I've got a star. I've got this underlined. This is the promise that God gave. 
Three parts to this first messianic promise. Though, not every, though Jesus is not in every verse of the Bible, all of Scripture points to Him. Amen? And this is the first messianic prophecy that God, though He just cursed all of creation, and though man became de- totally depraved wretches without hope, He gives them a glimmer of hope that He will send one, capital O, so three, three parts to this prophecy. Number one, God would reveal to Eve that Satan was, was not a friend, but a hateful enemy. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. He is not friend, he is foe. As in, in Peter's words, he, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He is a very, very real arch nemesis. Why do people paint him with pitchfork and horns and a tail? Because you can laugh at that and, and scoff it off as fable and, 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 and just cartoon. It's not the way Scripture... Our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. It is spiritual war against God's opponent, this spiritual being that will charge even the, the two beasts in Revelation 13 that we'll read about in Scripture reading this morning. He fills all false teachers. He moves all pagan leaders as his pawns because he is the prince and the power of the air that God allows on a short leash today. He's enemy. He's not friend. He's a hateful enemy. Second part to this promise, not only will there be enmity, spiritual war between humanity and the evil host. But second of all, God would place a great spiritual barrier between His people and Satan's people. You know, in my opening remarks, I, talk, I, I tried to set the plate for you of what we've been trying to unpack in the doctrine of man to help rid you of the residue and residual effect of a humanistic worldview that you were born in and grew up under and were influenced in school and by any unbeliever, and to replace that secular worldview with a God-centered Christian worldview. There is going to be hostility. There is animosity. There is great opposition. Great opposition. Great spiritual rift and reef between God's people and Satan's people. Though we have friends that are in the world, they're not our kin. They're not our brother and sister in Christ that we'll spend eternity with, that share our same value of Christ and Christ alone. Great spiritual barrier. Third, many more things that we could mention, but a third part to this messianic prophecy is the representative seed of the woman, Christ, who would deliver a final and fatal death blow to Satan at the cross, but in the process would uh, suffer physical death. Notice what he said he'd do. So, so I'm going to put enmity between Satan and the woman, between your seed and her seed, that rift between believers and unbelievers, and third... This one that I'm sending, 
He's going to bruise you on the head. Death blow to the devil. Is Satan still alive on planet earth? Yes, but at the cross, he was dealt a death blow that will come to fruition at the culmination of the ages. So God cursed the ground for Adam's sake. Agriculture became agony of endless toil instead of a delight. I can't imagine what it, would be, what it would be to not have to fight the weeds. But that's what Adam used to experience. Used to be a joy to exercise dominion on the earth. No longer. It's going to be a drudgery, not a delight. Although it apparently didn't rain until the flood, there appears to be this water canopy. God partially answered uh, the prayer of Lamech when he… Re- remember over in uh, Genesis 5 when centuries after Adam, Lamech cried out to God for relief from this, the curse upon the ground in chapter 5 verse 29? God partially answered this prayer by sending the flood to change the climatic and soil conditions on the earth. No, no more water canopy. And so, this thing that Noah had never seen before the flood, this rain, became a perpetual characteristic of life in this fallen world. Adam believed God's promise that Eve would bear children and that of her would come the Savior. When God came to them after the fall, man was instantly aware of his sin and his nakedness. And so, as an act of grace, God clothed them, and He shed the blood of animals in order to cover them with skins, seeming to be symbolic of their redemption on the merits of Christ's future sacrifice on the cross. So much more that we could say from this foundational chapter in uh, the book of Genesis. But let me, let me take your thoughts elsewhere as we're thinking about how this, how this all fits in, what we can, we can learn from, from the fall uh, kind of takeaway. Number one, the cause of the fall. The cause of the fall, and then we'll look at the consequences. When God began questioning Adam and Eve concerning sin, what would they do? You have children know exactly what they did, and you can see it. It leaps off the pages at you. Blame game, right? Adam, who do you blame? Eve. She blamed the serpent. Yet the Bible teaches that they sinned fully aware of their actions. Adam wasn't deceived, 1 Timothy 2.14, as I mentioned. But they they fell because they deliberately chose by an act of their own wills to disobey God and fulfill their own desires instead. They chose by their own will to disobey God and exercise their own wisdom and their own desires and their own parameters rather than God's. Yes, Eve shared in the sin since misery loves company. Adam ate willfully with full knowledge. We, we learn a lot about 
not only Adam and Eve, but how Satan continued from that point on throughout redemptive history and continues this strategy that he's worked all these years. It works great. Question God's goodness. Question His honesty. Question His word. Undermine people's faith. Has God question? Has He really? And as if questioning God isn't enough, let's not only question God's word, let's, let's uh, add to it. Touching. How does man add to God's Word today? Every religion is either divine accomplishment or human achievement. How about human works? An addition. And a host of other lies that have been added to Scripture. Just like that lie that He told Eve, you shall not die. Contradictory. Contradicting God. So there's this fall of man into sin through lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. First, he had to deal, uh, dealt with the desires of the body, lust, their desires. It wasn't until she saw the tree was good for food, verse 6, that she ate and then gave to her husband. Looks good. Human intellect at its best, Right? Satan took something good, what appeared harmless, and used it to appeal to human desire. The fruit wasn't inherently evil, but they sinned when they, when they disobeyed a clear command of God. They violated the one prohibition, thou shalt not eat of it, chapter 2, verse 17. He appealed to the same desire when Jesus was hungry. After 40 days of not eaten, what human intellect's response to well, I'm just hungry. Just hungry. So he said to the Son of God, command that stone to become bread, Matthew 4.3. Satan's going to get us to try to set, uh, satisfy desires which might be right, melt, right met differently, but in a wrong manner. What sells everything on the television screen? Sex. Suntan lotion, cars. Taking sex outside of marriage, the marriage union. Or how about, how about another way that Satan appeals to me? How about uh, worship? We all want to worship, right? And Satan offering wrong worship. Worship of the wrong people. The wrong things. So there's lust of the flesh, there's the lust of the, the eyes. Notice what Eve said, it's pleasant to my eyes, looks good. Second characteristic of humanity is to have dreams, have desires. Man constantly seeks to improve his surroundings and himself. There is a, an innate desire for excellence. Who wants to fault you for rising above it all for advancement so that you can reflect your Creator. But what if it is at the expense of other things? 
The appearance of fruit appealed to her desire to have what she didn't possess. Sin entered when she desired what was contrary to the command, contrary to the command of God. No matter how appealing, no was the right answer. Satan took Jesus up to a high mountain to show the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And unlike Eve, Jesus did not doubt the integrity of God's Word. Because God says, no, I respond in no. Discipline your body. As Paul says, buffet in the body, make it my slave. That you might not be disqualified. That's why David would say, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So there's the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. How about the pride of life? There's the the appeal to basic self-worth and acceptance and preservation of man. As when 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 the kids' friends come over, as we've been celebrating, we've we've gotten through three of the four birthdays in a month's time that we have in our family. And as the kids' friends come over, I have to get them away from the wood stove to keep them safe. Don't touch that; it's hot. Is it wrong to have an innate desire to preserve self? No, it is proper. It is God-given. But it cannot be achieved in an improper means. Man was not created as independent, but dependent. God did not create man to be separate from God, but to be dependent on Him. God gave us the ability to protect to preserve, to perpetuate self. So Satan appeals to this basic self-interest of man by showing, Eve, it'll make you wise. It'll help you in your pursuit to better yourself. Seems ironic that Satan could use man's interest at self-improvement to destroy all that man desired in the first place. Very ironic. Again, it wasn't successful with Jesus. As Satan quoted the psalm out of context to challenge him to perform unnecessary, spectacular miracles. As Satan, to the Son of God, induced him to perform out of motives of self-interest outside of the will of the Father, he rejected it. The fact that Jesus overcame temptation while our first parents gave into it can be directly attributed to his reliance on Scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. And so as our thought process is twisted, and as our desires are twisted, we must rely upon Scripture, not our own intuition through the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But since they did give in, Let's uh, notice as we, as we close the, the consequences. Consequences of the fall were both immediate and they were long range. Immediate and long range. For the, for the serpent, you're going to wallow and eat dust all the days of your, your life. Seems that the... Uh, Actual physical form of the serpent may have been changed. Permanent humbling even in the millennium, according to Isaiah 65. 
For, for Adam, there'd be sorrow. Yeah, you're going to keep on tilling like you've been tilling, Adam. But it's going to be through toil. Sweat of your brow. And so, sin introduced a new emotion into man's experience, that of sorrow. You're going to do what you've always done, Adam. It's going to be hard, though. Work was, work was in existence at the creation. God created us to work, but it's not going to be hard labor. He'd continue to have dominion over the ground, but now he would till a cursed ground. His labor would be multiplied. He'd find himself working harder and producing less. There'd be physical death, verse 19. He told them they'd die. And so God introduced into their bodies the process of age and decay. Yes, he'd still rule, but there'd be more difficulty as he'd rule over animals, there'd be animals to now attack him, to kill man. Others would resist his rule. Still others would be too dumb to heed man's direction. You look at the consequences of the fall upon the serpent, upon Adam. How about Eve? You're going to bear children. It's going to be through pain. Increased pain in childbirth. All you got to no, to unpack that is look to the great theologian Carol Burnett. She said childbirth is like taking your bottom lip and pulling it up over your head. Or as I saw her quote this week, it's like giving birth to barbed wire. Consequences to sin. It's painful. It'll take you further than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. It looks enticing, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's vanity. It's foolishness. It's chasing after nothing. And there would not only be immediate consequences of the fall for the serpent, Adam, and Eve, but even long range as Adam's sin would be imputed to us, credited to us. From that point forward, the fall is very apparent. You want to see how even our thinking and, and, and the fall affects us from the desire level? Think of how your children and mine fight over toys or special items or, or when you catch them even in the act and point to what they're doing wrong, they still insist on the blame game. It's not as you caught me doing if they were to give words to it. That's a gospel opportunity. A gospel opportunity with a lesson on the fall till they learn to hate their sin, they cannot be saved. You keep on doing what Adam, your father, Eve, your mother did, you cannot be saved. We learned that with the rich young ruler last week, did we not? Until you're willing to deny self, take up your cross daily, you cannot follow me, Jesus says. Until you hate your sin and love what is alien to you, if you keep holding on to self-righteousness, that's alive and well. It's alive and well. That's why the first beatitude that Jesus would give that we're going to look at tonight, for first attribute of a kingdom kid is a brokenness over their sin. To hate what they used to love and love what they used to hate. Recognizing our spiritual bankruptcy apart from Christ and our everything through Him. Father, help us to do that. 
as we live in a fallen world. Help us to be a part as your ambassadors to encourage people and command them to be reconciled to you through faith in Christ. To take advantage of every opportunity of the fall and every manifestation of the fall as an opportunity of the gospel with our children, with our spouses, with those around us, pointing to the one who undoes the curse, the one who perfectly overcame Satan's temptations to show us what life in him would be. We'll give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.